The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Happy Monday. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. We're uh, we're back home in... uh, in our, in our hometowns and in our home studios. And, and Barton, I missed you uh, on Sunday. I hope your travel back to Nashville was, uh, was swell and uh, as easy as it was going to be. And, uh, and, and now we've uh, that, that Austin trip that we'd been talking about for you know several weeks is done. You can go and listen to our instant reactions from uh, room 136 in the Hilton Garden Inn near the airport in Austin, Texas. Uh, please do and, uh, and, and let us know what you think. I... I found myself getting to you know replay a lot of the week in my mind. Got to go back and read some notes. Um, I, was, I would say overall, I'm gonna give it like uh, I'm not gonna give it an A plus, you know, because I gotta be a strict grader. But I would go A minus to A. Solid, solid work weekend. A plus social weekend, and uh, all in all, pretty good. Yeah, I, I thought uh, that was my first game in uh, Texas Memorial Stadium, and. I was feeling it. I thought that was a cool vibe. I thought that was a cool like tailgate setup. They had this big like amphitheater where like the people that can't get tickets can sit on the sort of green and watch it on a big screen. There's all these tailgates with uh, people just pouring in under these tents, watching on TVs right outside the stadium. Inside the stadium was rocking. It was a heck of a game. I mean, that was an awesome game. Um, and I came away kind of feeling the feeling the Texas vibe a little bit. I was uh, and and the LSU fan base traveled traveled great as they always do. So that was uh, that was that was a good college football weekend for sure. I I, I enjoyed it. We've got uh, a lot to get into today. Our our discussion will be sort of putting ourselves in the shoes of those beloved fans that uh, that we've been interacting with, uh, as well as some other fan bases across the country, in a little game of who would you rather be. Uh, but first, we get to some news. Kentucky confirms on Sunday that Terry Wilson, starting quarterback for the Wildcats, will be out for the rest of the season uh, after suffering an injury. He has been right there as part of you know the leading this offense over the last two years for the for the Kentucky Wildcats I, I think that I have been hard on Terry Wilson I have perhaps been unfair in regards to Terry Wilson 
in terms of you know, you know criticizing whatever limitations there may be compared to other starting quarterbacks. But he's he's been very effective. He's been very successful, and so I, I need to acknowledge that. But also coming with like the fact that I I view this as a pretty significant loss. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I do or not. I mean, it, look, it's a significant loss because it's your starting quarterback. I think my question is, and I'm not Sawyer Smith looks like he's the the new man under center for Kentucky, and I'm not going to act like I've, I'm, a, I'm a Sawyer Smith expert, uh, but he, he was pretty good at Troy. He's a transfer from Troy. He was pretty good in his starting opportunities, and he was you know, the MVP of the Dollar General Bowl, threw for 320 yards in a win over Buffalo. He's uh, – like my hunch is – like what's the analytics term, you know, wins over replacement or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like my hunch is, is like, is, is he that much worse than Terry Wilson? I mean, he's a starting quarterback. He was a starting quarterback five and two as a starter last year at Troy, uh, a pretty good team uh, in the group of five ranks. And Terry Wilson is good. But is but Terry Wilson is not. I don't think you. I don't think you ever are betting on Kentucky because you're just betting on Terry Wilson. I think if you put Terry Wilson at a Group of Five school playing against Group of Five programs, not playing against the defenses that he faces in the SEC East, I think he's a second team All Conference player. Yeah, maybe maybe first, but I would say that he would he would look much better at Troy than he does at Kentucky. I don't disagree with that. I, I, and I'm not saying he's – I mean, obviously the reason he's starting over Sawyer Smith, I'm not saying that somehow this is a push or an, uh, certainly not an upgrade. But but I, I would venture to guess that Sawyer Smith is capable of keeping the offense afloat. And if there's a drop-off, I just – it just doesn't feel like it would be like a significant one. Um but we'll uh, we'll find out real quick this weekend. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, the Wildcats do host uh, Florida at the big checkout line in Kroger Field. So the that game, just sort of your Monday morning, your Monday morning thoughts. I believe uh, early spread. I saw it around eight and a half, nine, something like that. Is that a spot where if you are a Florida fan, you are concerned about Felipe Franks and that offense's ability to be effective? on the road against a, a well-coached uh, Stoops defense? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're – I think you're – I think you got some confidence. I don't know. This is a, this is a really interesting matchup. Um, what do you think? I, I think there's two ways the game plays out. I think if that game is in the high teens, low 20s going into the fourth quarter, then Kentucky's got a chance to win. But I think if Florida's offense punches – if Florida's offense punches first and doesn't get in its own way, jumps out to a first quarter or first half lead, Kentucky does not have much of a chance to storm back. And so we should know – Basically, I'm I'm not planning on keeping that in my uh, number one in in my number one screen at any point. Excited to uh, to get back in the you know in, in in the home studios and do some channel flipping. But I think that I will be tracking the scoreboard. And if Florida's offense cannot 
get on the board, strike first, and and get in a little bit of a rhythm, then I'm going to keep it on the uh, on the upset alert watch. Oh yeah, no, this is definitely an upset alert. Um, and that that number you quoted eight and a half nine seems a little high. Uh, and I got to watch. I, honestly, I got. I mean, Kentucky has played two quality group of five teams from an from one of the worst group of five conferences and they've won to where it wasn't a sweat but wasn't a blowout either and so i'm interested in maybe trying to trying to sneak a peek at a couple of those games and see see what i missed there a little bit uh but this is going to be i mean this is what kentucky does in the early in the early season you don't really know who they are because they don't really they don't win they don't have sexy wins and uh, and so I think we're going to go into this game with some with some unknowns. I'm looking forward to kind of checking it out and, and learning something about both these teams. Staying in the SEC East with a little bit of news, South Carolina. It does appear uh, that that it does it doesn't appear. South Carolina announces that Jake Bentley will undergo surgery that will likely hold him out for the rest of the season. That was a you know a midfoot sprain that was diagnosed and announced after the loss to North Carolina in the opener. You know, in comes Ryan Holinsky and it, you know, it's Charleston Southern. And I think that that offense really needed a, a little bit of the 700 yards. I mean, yep. they, they needed to have every one of those 72 points and 700 yards. Those were said records. That's that is a, uh, we're not going to hold back because you know, Everybody on this team needs to needs to feel good. Doesn't doesn't matter that what the opponent is or what it is. If if the green light is green, we are going to continue to score these touchdowns. Man, the new savior has come, Ryan Holinsky. Uh, yeah, he's going to be. I mean, look the 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 thing about Ryan Holinsky is he's a really really talented thrower, probably more so than Jake Bentley. The what he lacks that Jake Bentley has is mobility. And so there's going to be, I mean, they play in Alabama this weekend, right? So there's a lot riding on the offensive line's ability to protect Ryan Holinsky because he's not going to be extending plays. He's not going to be able to sort of, he's less equipped to operate in chaos. Uh, And so, but he's, you know, he's a good player. He's got – this is the year of the true freshman quarterback. There's a lot of true freshman winning games out there. And uh, it's, uh, it's Ryan Holinsky's turn now. South Carolina, the rest of the way – South Carolina's one and one. Holinsky comes in. Do you think South Carolina will make it to a bowl game? No. Yeah. No. I don't think he ch- – I don't think he changes – the 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 calculus uh he, i don't think the i mean he, he's he is not a variable that is going to alter things he is i don't think he's going to i don't think they're going to be worse than they than they would be i think he's capable of kind of keeping them afloat but i still think i didn't think they were going to make a bowl game with Jake Bentley after losing to North Carolina and I don't think they're gonna make a bowl game now, but hey, what about this chip? Maybe North Carolina's pretty good. Mm. Huh? <laughs> what if we look back and, and we're like, man, North Carolina, man, South Carolina did a good job keeping that game close. I don't know. They're two and zero. Are we gonna? I mean, 
They're two. They're two and zero with two power five wins. Yeah. I I need to I need to pull together the list of two and zero teams with two power five wins because uh, I I bet it's pretty thin, and it's. And- and they're just getting going. Sam Howell just getting going. He's just getting warmed up. <laughs> True freshman quarterback. I can't. Mac, t- Mac is back. I, I can't tell how much of this is you just just <laughs> leaning into it and just kind of like feeding it because I'm I I do that same thing around here. I I'm just like oh yeah. Are, are you kidding? I mean, you go beat Wake. You know, you you knock off Clemson at home. You beat Appalachian State. You're five and zero right there. You got it. Well, I mean, I I, I felt. I want to go back, what is it, September 9th today. I want to go back and find our September 9th or Monday after week two podcast last year, 2018, and figure out what teams were surprising us and and where they landed. Like, that's the beauty of this early season is we, we think wins are good wins or we think win losses are bad losses, and then – six or seven weeks later, we realized that was not a bad loss or that was not a good win. Um, and and so we, we like kind of joke about this loss to North Carolina in week one, but here North Carolina is, and they're beating Miami in week two, and hey, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, my I know my under's in trouble. My North Carolina under's in big trouble right now. No doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right let's uh let's get, speaking of those north carolina tariels do you do you want to start with uh with them in this uh in this discussion yeah you want to set up our our premise here or did you already do that i guess kind of but uh just just for the purposes of uh anybody who might have jumped ahead in, in segments the premise is this uh, what fan base would you rather be in right now like barton like there are we're looking across uh, the two four seven sports message boards and and at some places the expectations are just surging through the roof and people are already starting to figure out whether they're going to be in Atlanta or Glendale for the college football playoff semifinals. Elsewhere, we're already starting to put together our wish list for our next head coach. Like there is just such a wide variance of you know how the fan bases are feeling, whether it is depression, whether it is anger, whether it is excitement, whether it is anxiety. And, uh, and so, you know, based on our understanding of the fan experience across the entire country, we want to throw out some programs that are uh, in either similar or at least comparative positions following week two. And so, you know, who would you rather be? Where would you rather be right now? And so, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I'm going to allow you, where would you rather be, like the, the you in that phrase, to be kind of whatever you want it to be, Chip. Like if you want to be put yourself in an athletics director's shoes – if you want to put yourself in a student's shoes, a player, a coach, whatever, just sort of however you can best uh, sort of transport yourself into the persona of that school or that program, have at it. So let's begin right there. The North Carolina Tar Heels. Would you rather be rooting for Mac Brown, future Heisman Trophy winner Sam Howe, or, and you know, again, like I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, the where, where the preseason expectations they were set, or win total maybe around four, four and a half, but there was also about a four, four and a half win total set for uh, the Colorado Buffs. A lot of, a lot of talk about the unproven Mel Tucker, but 
those Colorado Buffs just had fans rushing the field after taking down Nebraska in overtime. That Colorado team has knocked off two rivals, Colorado State and Colorado. Steven Montez, LaVisca Chenault, a veteran offense, seems to be rolling. So, Barton, would you rather be UNC or would you rather be Colorado? Well, the, I mean, the big thing here, and not to be oh, too mainstream, too, too quarterback-centric here, but the the onions that Sam Howell has shown in the first two weeks is pretty impressive. There was a great quote. I can't remember who tweeted it out, uh, but it, from the postgame presser, the question was something to the regard of, and you may have seen this, Chip, I don't know, but so the question was something like, so what's the deal, Sam? Like, do you have ice water in your veins or what? And and he said, I don't know. That's something that uh, that's that's something for you guys to decide. But you know, you've seen the last two weeks, I guess, or so, something like that. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, the proof is on the field. Like, look what I've done. And it's true. It's almost like the bigger the moment, the better he gets. I mean, I I don't know if because I was watching. I don't think you were watching it. I was watching a little bit of that game as we were sitting in the press box uh, in Austin. And he just completed like a, I think it was like a fourth and 17. It was a fourth and 17. Just like, just like it was nothing. And, and then completed that touchdown in the corner of the end zone. Just put it perfectly. I mean, so I, I just think with, and North Carolina's got a, a more talented roster than people think. Uh, they, they, I mean, Larry Fedora, the big issue with him as much as anything was quarterback. So now they have a quarterback, a true freshman quarterback, who's got plenty of sort of room to grow here. And I think conversely at Colorado, I didn't, wa- I didn't watch the, the Colorado-Nebraska game. Um, and so maybe I would change my opinion here if I watched more of it. But uh, I, I, the defense worried me a little bit because Colorado State – and we're still a little bit, I think, leaning on the Steven Montez, LaVisca Chenault offense right now. Uh, and I just want, you know, as that offense, you know, how can they replace that offense? How are they going to be at replacing that offense? Whereas it seems like North Carolina is just, just kind of getting going. I would rather be, I would rather be North Carolina. I'm, I was, I was going to make a case for Colorado, but for North Carolina, it is the, it it is like the repair. It's the repairing of the collective fan psyche, and so right here in the early part of the season, that's like that is so much more rewarding, I think, than where Colorado started the year and sort of where they sit right now. Because certainly, if you if you're Colorado, if you're a Colorado fan, you're looking around the Pac-12 South and you've seen Arizona and you've seen UCLA, you're kind of slotting yourself up. You're starting to look around figure out where you might be able to go get these wins. Colorado's is now looking at a bowl game. Absolutely. But I don't know if Colorado was in like a fractured 
uh, a fractured place mentally. I don't know if their spirit was quite as broken as the North Carolina fans that didn't really show out for the regular season finale against rival NC State last year, Larry Fedora's last game. And so to get the the win in Charlotte against South Carolina uh, in the manner that they did to to get the win at home at night against Miami in the manner that they did, yeah, it is it is way more intoxicating right now to be a North Carolina fan. And I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to pump the brakes for, uh, friends and family right now, you know, over at, uh, my parents' house for dinner last night, they, they were talking about this, like Sam Howe is just going to be able to replicate this every single week and he might, but I was like, please y'all, please remember this young man is a freshman in college and he, he, he might not be able to do what you just saw him do in Keenan Stadium every single week, but he might. Well, I, I think the point you bring up is you could make a case, given the way they've won the close games, I mean, they could easily be 0-2 right now. You, you, you could be making the case right now that, like, you're buying high with North Carolina if you're going to sit here and sort of – I mean, this this might be the – the peak of the season in some ways for this North Carolina fan base. Uh, and that, I don't know whether that's, I mean, maybe that's the case with, with Colorado too. Um, I mean, they, they certainly snuck by, by the skin of their teeth, beating a Nebraska team that we're not even sure is any good yet. Um, but, but, but I just think, yeah, you're right. Like right, right now it's just, man, it's, it feels fun to be a North Carolina fan. If, if, if you're out there rocking the, uh, um, the, what do you, what is it? The baby blue? What do you call that? Oh no, it's va- no, it's way more pretentious. They just call it Carolina blue. Carolina blue. That's right. yes, <laughs> official, Carolina. official, official school colors. Carolina blue and white. Uh, okay, uh, from from surging optimism and excitement uh, to the other side. The train wreck. To the biggest train wreck here. Biggest train wreck. Would you rather be UCLA or Tennessee? Yeah, everybody wants to rubberneck on this one. So let's let's talk here. Uh, so, I, I think, whew, I mean, it's ugly for both. Here's the thing. Here's the reason that I would be more excited to be a Tennessee um, booster fan, athletic director, player, student than UCLA. Tennessee is at least like going at mock speed on the recruiting trail. They're at least recruiting really well. They're playing a bunch of freshmen. Henry Toto is, is is playing well at inside linebacker. Warren Burrell at corner. Eric Gray at running back. They've got these little flashes of youth coming up. They've got a there's there's concern. I think I mean at least you I mean there's concern right now and like all right what what are we, what are we missing here with Jeremy Pruitt? Why is why is this guy who's supposed to be this great coach? not have his team like ready to make plays why are they giving up these big you know these big gains and big moments um but ultimately it looks like i think they under like it's pretty clear to me that jeremy pruitt understands the like the weight the importance of this the and he's going to be motivated to get it right he's he's high he's like you know, he shook up his coaching staff last year. They got rid of their OC, went and stole one from Georgia. They 
got rid of their DC or just at least demoted their DC and went and hired what was supposed to be a, a superstar and Derek Ansley from the Raiders. Uh, whether he is or not is to be determined, but 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 Jeremy Pruitt's going to get it right. Whereas at UCLA, they're not recruiting well. They're not recruiting aggressively. They're not putting it seemingly not putting a lot of effort into it. And there's this vibe by Chip Kelly where it's like whatever fans, whatever everyone outside this building, like I'm smarter than you. I got this. And that's just not the kind of persona that is going to endear me as a fan to this program. And uh, I think, again, I think with, with Tennessee, at least you got some indicators that, hey, Jeremy Pruitt wants to get this right as much as I do. UCLA... The only advantage of being UCLA is that uh, two advantages of being UCLA. Number one, you're in Los Angeles, so uh, I guess I guess there's a, that very like basic entry level low hanging fruit. Like, oh yeah, I'd rather be in LA because look, then you got all this other stuff to do and you can just forget about it. Well, there's great, but. <laughs> I also think that because that was a great that was a great uh, Los Angeles County impression. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that at Tennessee, they're they're caring, right? They're still showing up. They're still passionate. They're still they're they're venting their frustration. They've got their communities. It's so you know interwoven. Did you see some of the stadium shots of that San Diego State UCLA game? No, I can only imagine empty, totally empty, like entire sections of the Rose Bowl where it would just have like three people on the eighth row. Oh God! So uh, my argument for UCLA is that it's just easier to check out. You know, it's it, everyone it, in terms of who would you rather be uh, at Tennessee. You've got to live this struggle seven days a week. You're still showing up. You're still going to the tailgates. You're you're still committed to hoping this thing is going to turn around. And I think at UCLA. The the fans, even the fans who are, you know, have been committed at some time, they are they've let go. And it's interesting because both these fan bases too, you mentioned the the difference between Jeremy Pruitt and Chip Kelly. Jeremy Pruitt gives you more reason to believe that this thing is going to get turned around. Both these fan bases have also been damaged by multiple regimes, you know, through this uh, through these different struggles with uh, your Jim Mora and your Butch Jones, each sort of providing the highs and lows of, of those uh, eras. But when I look at UCLA, it just looks like it's much easier to check out at Tennessee. You've got to live the pain and maybe college football. I understand there is something about living the pain as a part of the experience, but my argument for UCLA is, I mean, they've, they've already moved. They've already decided that this is not, whether it's this season or this coach or just sort of this era, it certainly appears as though no one around uh, UCLA is all that hot and bothered by what's happening right now. Are you freaking out a little bit if you're Dan Guerrero, the athletic director at UCLA? A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm freaking out a little bit. This is not what I this is not what I thought I signed up for. I think if if you're if you're um, Philip Fulmer at Tennessee, you're disappointed and you're frustrated. 
but I'm not at freaking out level yet. Uh, I know fans probably are, or I mean, there's, there's, I mean, that Georgia State loss is as bad as any in school history, but I still think you can, you can look yourself in the mirror if you're Philip Fulmer and be like, you know what, this is, this was still the right decision. We're getting there. It's gonna be some. It's gonna take some time. We're getting there. If you're Dan Guerrero, you're like, whoa, whoa. We're not recruiting. We're not. We're not winning. We're not developing our quarterback. We're like, what? What are we doing here, guys? Um, and so that, yeah, I'm. I'm. This is a weird deal. I believe uh, it was Dragonfly Jones on Twitter and uh, just just good laughs sort of across a long a large swath of sports and pop culture. And uh, he pointed out, he said, Chip Kelly was smart to take UCLA <laughs> over Florida because he knew that he didn't have it and he knew that if he did that in Gainesville, somebody would whoop his ass outside of Waffle House. <laughs> no doubt. If you're not gonna give a rip, then go out there to LA where no one else gives a rip. Like if if you knew that this might go poorly, don't go do that in Gainesville. Uh-uh. <laughs> they are not gonna let you move about town uh just totally checked out. All right, let's uh let's take let's go, let's go from the we're going from the bottom of the valley to the top of the mountain. Mm. I want to see give me chip who you would rather be right now, LSU or Ohio State. Toad and you you're giving me a lot of like you means you, and I get to use all this like personal experience and flavor and taste, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather be LSU. Much rather be LSU. I think I agree with you. Yeah, Go I, ahead. I I really think that the there's so much there's a lot more like untapped uh like there there's you know these canisters of happiness that have kind of been sealed up. Let's just say since maybe 2012 or 2013, you know the highest of the highs experienced there in a run from 2003 2004 to 2012 2014 let's just take that decade and just say like that it that it was an um you know one of the the maybe the high watermark for LSU football and I I think that those uh those canisters you haven't opened them yet but you're definitely getting them out of the closet and you know you're starting to put them on the kitchen counter and you're like there's 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 chances we're gonna get to uh, open up these happiness canisters here pretty soon, and <laughs> that like like that to me feels a much feels like a much more rewarding fan experience than Ohio State, which won a national championship in 2015, has dominated the Big Ten. You know, won eight went 83 and nine during the the run of the Urban Meyer era. 14 out of 15 wins against Michigan. Ohio State has not won national championships. Except for the, oh, I mean, they have not like uh, they, they've missed the college football playoff, you know, three or four times in years where it looked like they were the a potential playoff team. They've had the losses to Iowa and Purdue, you know, those little bits of frustration. But you know, if you're LSU, you can sort of play out in your mind the way that things have been building to this moment. When you you, I think I, I go like this. I go to uh, last year going on the road to Auburn, like just 
an ugly game, but a defensive game and one that uh, LSU just hung in and, and found a way to win on a Cole Tracy field goal at the end. They followed that up with uh, beating Georgia at home, a game that was just felt like uh, LSU was leveling up and was starting to really sort of change the perception of where LSU is at this point in time. And then you throw this Texas road win on top of that too. And I'm thinking that in the last calendar year, and I think September 15th was the Auburn win last year, but the you go beat Auburn on the road, Georgia at home, Texas on the road. I mean, it just, it feels like, it feels like it's happening. And so uh, that's why I'm taking LSU. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I still think Ohio State is a more likely playoff contender, playoff participant, because a little bit easier road. Um, that defense has been really good, whatever. But that's not really what this is about. Like what this is about to me, and and admittedly, we just you know we're having this discussion fresh off of watching LSU be a, a top ten team in Texas on the road. Uh, so perhaps this is unfair. Maybe we should have had this discussion after Ohio State goes to Nebraska or something. But I think the the difference with me with this LSU team is it's almost like LSU like LSU is is a kid like a like a 16 17 year old kid that's that whose parents gave him a Ferrari I'm not a car guy like a Ferrari like a what's a Maserati like I don't know right. like whatever like a fast car is but there's there's been a governor on the engine and you can only drive it like 75 miles an hour and and Saturday night feels like the kid just turned 18 and the parents said, okay, we'll take the governor off the engine and you can go drive on the Audubon as fast as you want. And all of a sudden you got this like rocked up roster of talent and now you can go as fast as you freaking want. And they're going fast. And it is... I mean, it's. I don't. I don't. I'm sure this has been re- out, like reported, or, or, um, uh, you know, I'm, I, they have three receivers over 120 yards in one game. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of LSU football. I'm sure, again, someone has figured that out by now. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's the first time it's ever happened. And I, I, it just feels like if I'm an LSU fan, player, coach. Ad, like we're, it feels like we just took a step into like a new dimension here, and now we get to experience this program in like all of its glory, like in in like its absolute, like we can flex, we can finally flex a little bit, uh, and so Ohio State is hey, we're this is exciting, you know, Justin Fields looks like he's everything he's supposed to be that defense is stacked but ultimately like Ohio State's been right on the cusp LSU has felt like they've had a roster of a national championship roster with a huge chasm between being able to win a national championship and and what and you know what they actually are and now the the chasm I think is closed and it feels like this team is is you know you can put them in that discussion and it's <laughs> and it's like, who would you rather be right now, too? Right? Like, right, right right now, right now, Ohio State looks good, but Ohio State hasn't given us 
a win at Texas. Yes. Like this, like we can say Ohio State looks good, but I if Ohio State blitzes Nebraska, if Ohio State, you know, uh takes down Wisconsin, maybe maybe we start to change our conversation. But I'm hundred percent with you uh right there. I I would rather be LSU right now. Coming up on the other side, more who would you rather next? The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay. Let's go. Let's let's keep keep rocking with uh let's go with two programs that have given us uh sort of varying sets of data points on and off the field. Uh more I guess more off the field for uh, for the first one, but USC and Maryland are both sort of sitting in that, you know, twenty to twenty-five section of the of the polls they're both two and oh usc with wins over fresno state and then the win over stanford the the keen slowest experience off and running maryland blasted howard and then you know blasted syracuse and, and now all of a sudden we're waking up to something that you've pointed out even prior to the season a, a very talented terps roster that has been at, at a top 25 top 30 you know 24 7 uh, total team composite ranking here for a little bit. And Mike Loxley seems to have found ways to to activate it. Josh Jackson, my guy has been uh, coming out and doing a, being a very effective uh, trigger man for that quarterback. So, you know, USC, it looks like everything was going to be awful. And now all of a sudden things are a little bit shifted. Maryland came in with lower expectations and now all of a sudden things are raising. So I would say that USC and Maryland are are gr- sort of tied together in the way that the slider seems to be moving all around. So as as we're sitting here on Monday, September 9th, would you rather be a USC fan or a Maryland fan? So I think that this, like on the surface, this this would be an easy answer. I mean, just USC, true freshman quarterback, Graham Harrell era, uh, you know, the ability to recruit, the upside. I mean, they still have playoff upside. I'm not sure as good as we think, you know, Maryland looked against Syracuse. I'm not sure anyone's saying they got playoff upside. Uh, but maybe it's surprising, but I, I would actually go Maryland here because I think with Maryland, there's, there's so not like you get, I think Mike Loxley has energized this program in a, in a similar way to what sort of the energizing effect of 
Joe Burrow, Joe Brady at LSU. And that what, what like whoa, we're here. Wow, look at look at this. Look what we might be. Look what we can do. Look what our offense is right now. Look at the way we're going to start recruiting under Mike Loxley. Look at the, um, you know, look, look at the, just energy and optimism. And, and I think you can have that same sort of energy and optimism about this season with USC. Keaton's and and you have a true freshman quarterback, and he looks really good. And Graham Harrell looks like he's starting to, uh, you know, the, this it's really starting to set in with this roster, what they can do and, and how they can operate in this offense and, and all that. But my problem with USC is you still have, and I hate to say this, and it comes off as, as sort of hater pundit, but you still have Clay Helton as your quarterback and or as your as your head coach rather and i think we've seen that he doesn't produce i mean this is the this is the refrain i keep on saying he doesn't but he doesn't produce tough physical football teams and what are like what's ultimately a usc program with a ceiling as high as any program in college football is still going to be a team that disappoints in those big moments. That's that's sort of my still my impression until they prove me wrong. Whereas Maryland now a uh, a team that's been in this um, Randy Edsel and why am I blanking on the most on the coach they just fired um, DJ Durkin, Durkin? DJ Durkin, you know malaise sort of. And now at this at least it feels like at least this week at this point in the season. It feels like. Uh, I mean, do not ignore. There's a whole do, yeah, different do, vibe and energy around the program, and do not ignore also within DJ Durkin's scandal and tragedy. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think like that's part of it too. Yeah, just like deep, like shock to our core. What is happening? Um, a a player died. Like that. That stuff is like harrowing. And Mike Foxley being sort of a a native son in a way is is providing a uniting effect too in in the wake of that and so I, I just think there's a lot of good mojo around that program right now have you heard him refer to uh maryland's uh home field as the shell i have not i think he is i need I will, i'll pull it up and uh and maybe as we as we look ahead and preview maryland's next game i'll see if i can get a little sounder but uh TBD on whether I'm all in on that nickname. <laughs> I'm going with USC. Of course I'm going with USC, Barton. It's my beloved Trojans. You're alive, man. You're alive. I, I, I'm sitting here with a 2-0 and team, college football playoff pick, a quarterback who is effectively running Graham Harrell's offense, wide receivers that have it going, and truthfully, like if if I'm to to dial back into a little bit more of the the sound, clear eyed analysis that combines my you know my understanding, my expectations, with also the the purposes of this conversation, which are to to think about the fan perspective. The one thing that I'm I'm starting to get a little bit. Uh, the one thing that I'm starting to get a little bit more excited about is just the idea that there were some there were some hard like they they had three touchdown runs and against Fresno State, Vivi Malapai had a pretty good rushing game. And that's kind of where my 
that that was my a question, right? Like whether within the context of an air raid offense with very talented wide receivers, were they going to be able to have were they going to be able to have the the counter to that when it's first and goal and they've actually got it down inside the 10, 7, 8 yard line? Are they going to be able to run the ball? Are they going to be able to to get some of those hard touchdowns? And then kind of kind of felt like while they weren't like ripping off a bunch of long runs within the up-tempo offense against Stanford, they were able to get those kind of uh you're all right, you're down, you're in scoring position, you know, now let's go get those hard running touchdowns. They were able to get that, and I feel like that's a big check mark for me uh when, when as we're talking about USC. And so, you you're right, like especially when we thought what Maryland was going to be versus what Maryland is, our expectations before the season versus sort of how you're feeling right now. Yes, but in who would you rather be? I would rather be right here, Chip Patterson, my beloved USC Trojans, 2-0, 1-0 in Pac-12 play. What's your confidence level right now on USC playoffs? Would you, if you had to re, if you had to repick, repredict your playoff, reproject, would you have USC in it again two weeks in? No, I would have two SEC teams in. I don't know if I would put uh, – how about this? Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Like, I'd probably say Alabama and one of the other two. But even at this point, with me being open-minded enough to consider that we're in the midst of a, a bat-you-know-what crazy season, I would – maybe it's Georgia and LSU. Who knows? But I am uh, – yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the position right now based on just the strength of those three teams – in terms of their talent and also uh, what we know, which is like Alabama, probably a little bit more what we know, and then what we've seen, LSU, and then what we believe, Georgia. Because Georgia, you know, took everything, like you said, the boa constrictor. They're not going to be putting together one game that you're going to be like, wow, that's a college football playoff team. But they certainly don't appear to have many weaknesses right now. And so with the strength sure. of those three teams, I would bump USC and I would have two SEC teams in my playoff. All right. So from the bottom of the valley to the top of the mountain to back towards the middle, uh, an- another pair that I think is pretty interesting here. Where would you rather be? Who would you rather be? Michigan or Auburn. I like that they're tied together because they both appear to be showing signs on the field that whatever their same frustrations have been respectively are still there, right? Yeah. The muscle memory of what you're angry about is strong. <laughs> that's a good that's well said <laughs> you know exactly <laughs> what the keywords and the key arguments are when it comes to complaining about your football program your your 2 and 0 football program right. uh i think i would rather be um i think i would rather be auburn yeah okay I th- I think I would rather be Auburn because there's uh, there's at least that understanding that you know well if it's if it's going to be one of those type of seasons we're gonna you know luck our way into a win we're gonna luck our way out of a win 
but you know we we're never gonna uh you know we we never know what to expect it's it's almost the expect the i would take expect the unexpected over uh expect disappointment and underachievement and that's kind of what or fr- not disappointment expect frustration and apparent underachievement At Auburn, you saying you're you're saying you should expect that. I'm saying at Auburn, it's expect the unexpected, which was going to come with some frustrations, but it's also going to come with, you know, some some wild highs and some unexpected right. twists and turns. Versus Michigan, right. which is uh, some frustration and apparent because I, I'm you know I'm going to let it continue to be determined as the season plays out, but apparent underachievement. All right, so I'm going to go Michigan here. Uh, and part of it is just I'm, I'm going to look at this from a fan perspective, and I'm going to say this has got to be an enjoyable experience for me in some regard. And I just don't enjoy watching Auburn play offense. <laughs> it's just – it's so just – Gimmicky? I mean, I, I – yeah, it is gimmicky. It's very gimmicky. It is. Yeah. If you know, every play feels like it's uh, it's like a a trick play in a, in a way, and I, I just it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch, and it's frustrating to sort of see these big, fast wide receivers come in and make a splash as a true freshman, and then they're the same guy three years later. It's frustrating to watch this. Uh, you know, a quarterback come in and and look like he's like in some ways it looks like they're running a high school offense from like when I was playing high school in the sense of like here, fake this and this guy's gonna be open, not not a drop back and and see what the defense gives you and hit hit the open space. It's a look for the post after this play fake sucks the safety in. It's like, man, that's just, it feels so old school. And I can't, it's just, it bugs me. Um, And I think with Michigan, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, the expectations are so high there. And we've been so close. If you're talking about Michigan, like you've been, we've had, there's been seasons where you're a player two away from being in the playoffs. Um, and so it's not like there's this huge gap that you got to, you got to bridge there. It, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be this year. All right. So another year where it's not going to be us, but it doesn't, but who's to say it won't be next year. I, it doesn't feel like this, there is a, um, cap on this it doesn't feel like Michigan's hit its ceiling it just feels like Michigan is hovering around it they're not quite there yet there's nothing to keep them from being able to get there it just hadn't happened yet so I have less despair and like hopelessness for the Michigan program than it seems some people do and Auburn one thing is clear I mean, Auburn, Auburn has certainly the ability to have a cycle up and, and win an SEC championship. 
that's not out of the cards. But I think it's very clear that in the current structure of things, Auburn will never be consistently the best team in the SEC West or the SEC. So, and I, and I don't think that that's, I think that it's possible for them to be consistently the best team in the SEC West or the SEC. And, and I just don't see it happening with the current regime. So I, that's, that's a little bit of a Gus Malzahn hater approach, but I just, I'm sort of over, um, nah, not over it, but I'm just in this, in this discussion, in this comparison, I have more faith in Michigan from a long-term perspective. Well, no, look good on you for taking your own personal flavor into account and just saying that you don't like putt-putt offenses. <laughs> but, but offenses is that your phrase i've yeah. never heard that before yeah just pulled I it like that i was thinking about it the the first the way i got there was uh i've got a saying playing golf where i caught like when you see a hole that's really tricked up on a golf course i call it a gimmick hole and i kind of sneer and roll my eyes at it like yeah. might might not even take my score on that hole oh nah forget this gimmick hole no i don't like this one bit and then the next step of that would be putt putt. So yeah, that's that's that gimmicky putt putt offense of Auburn. Barton wants no putt, no part of it. Uh, that is, that's my new yeah. That's my new phrase for Gus Malzahn's offense: putt putt offense. All right. What about uh, would you rather be Florida State one and one after great defense on an extra point against? <laughs> Uh, against ULM, the Warhawks, or would you rather be Stanford, which uh, you've got, um, you know, you you've had a you had a seventeen to three lead against USC, and then things just started to slide in the other direction. It's the Stanford to me seems like a lost experience where I can't even put my I can't even put my finger on what the team is. I think the identity crisis was a little bit of a running theme in my head going into the season. And I, I can't say that I've, I've had those questions answered either, but I'll tell you what, even amongst all that confusion, I don't want to be Florida state. I don't want to be Florida state at all. I th- I don't want to be Florida state. And I would, I would maybe put in the, who would you rather be? I think that I would rather be most, mo- I would rather be most a fan base of most programs at the power five level, at least than where Florida state is, because that is a, that is a horror show right there. UCLA and Tennessee had a lot to kind of dig into because of the competing investments and and sort of the competing trajectories and the interests in the head coaching hire. Willie Taggart came in and the big thing that he was riding was that I grew up a Florida state fan, the connections to the state of Florida and just sort of a general belief in Willie Taggart. But man, we zoom out and there's just, there ain't a whole lot that's looking good anywhere. Uh, you know, after I, I saw they, the camera zoomed in on Marvin Wilson's face after that missed extra point, And he was going up to ULM players to like, like help console them as if he knew in his like soul. He was like, we probably didn't deserve to win that game. I don't think there was much celebration uh, in Tallahassee that night. So uh, I will take Stanford over Florida. I will take the identity crisis of Stanford over Florida state. Yeah. And I get that. And I think probably most people 
would look at this comparison and say, no brainer, take Stanford, Florida State's a dumpster fire. And I do understand that. I, I think, and I'm, and this is a very, I mean, this whole, this whole conversation, the, this whole, um, process is a very like abstract sort of, you know, eye of the beholder type of deal. But I, I really, I think I'd still take Florida State. And I think the reason why is it's like, it's, it's, this thing is very, I'm going to say combustible in like a positive way. Like there's still a chance that this thing, you, you know, you light a match and this thing could, could flare up and, 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 and if blowing up is a good thing, like blow up and, and, and Stanford, I feel like, like you said, I guess lost its way. The program is a little bit boring right now. It's, is it a, you know, it's not the uh, intellectual brutality of old. It is now a team that doesn't stop anybody on defense, that can't run the football, and that doesn't have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside on offense. And what, what, how do we get back to what we're supposed to be? You know, it's not like you're, you you don't have some crazy game day experience to fall back on. You don't have, I mean, Florida State ultimately has still got a bunch of four, four or four and five stars trotting out there. And you can't convince me that they're not close. They're, th- th- Willie Taggart may just be a disaster hire. I don't know. He, he legitimately might be. But whenever, I don't think that they're so far away from a talent standpoint that even if things don't go well this year, and even if you have to keep them around for buyout purposes through next year, that whenever a change comes, it can't get back on track quickly. Maybe I'm wrong on that because we've made that assumption in the past about programs. I mean, shoot, we probably made that assumption about Tennessee three times. Uh, but I, I still think Florida State, there's more like reason to be – excited about going to a game you can still see cam Akers, for goodness you know you can still see him like hey maybe he's gonna do nothing but you'll get one really fun run out of him um you can still sort of try to like check in on that development of their some really talented defensive backs you know stanford is like what are we even getting anymore right what is that program even doing to excite me anymore so maybe stanford changes my mind on them but I'm I'm a little bit down on Stanford right now. Mm, okay. What about uh, Miami or Virginia Tech? I mean, I think you can still get excited about Manny Diaz. I think Justin Fuente is about to lose Bud Foster. Justin Fuente is in. Well, what he is. He, is but yeah, I mean, Bud Foster already announced that he's stepping down at the end of the year. Right. Uh, yeah. So he's about to lose Judd Brad Foster. He's in year is a year four. 15, uh, 16, 17. Yes. Year four. You know, this is not. And I mean, Virginia Tech, that was not a they might have a good year. I mean, Boston College was a little bit. I want to say fluky, but they they didn't play bad in that game. They beat Old Dominion. And so maybe we're still. You know, maybe we still got a good year for Virginia Tech ahead of us, but but I still think Miami, Jaron Williams, redshirt freshman quarterback, 
Manny Diaz, like we can, they've lost two close games against maybe two good teams. Going back to the whole thing I talked about earlier, it's like wonder what we'll think of these losses or wins by week 10. Um, so I'm going to still just get, I'm a little bit of a sucker here for the, the big Mo. And I'm going to say Miami still got a little bit more momentum with, with a coach in year one than Virginia Tech. A hundred percent Miami. A hundred percent Miami because Virginia Tech thought they had it. They thought they'd put all the pieces together. Year one with yeah. Justin Fuente, they make it to the ACC championship game and lose to Clemson 42 to 35. Gerard Evans sets a whole bunch of school records. And so, you know, Justin Fuente, this guy who comes in with a kind of like offensive uh, reputation, offensive mindset, like it feels as though you have, uh, you've like totally answered a lot of the questions that you had coming into the year. Then all of a sudden, nah, things things start to slide and things start to break down defensively. And the thing that is frustrating about this Bud Foster situation is that he announces before the season, I'm going to step down at the end of the year. Well, that doesn't, and, and I think I've mentioned this, but that doesn't give me an incredible amount of confidence that, you know, that there's going to be, uh, let's go, let's go improve and let's go win it for Bud, coach Bud kind of attitude in that locker room. And now all of a sudden, the conversation of whether Virginia Tech had done the one thing that's impossible to do, which is replace a legend in Frank Beamer, you know, it was like, wow, that's like one of the greatest transitions that we've we've seen at the Power Five level. Well, that was an instant reaction, but maybe it's because the slide was was going to come a little bit later, or maybe there was sort of an instant spike with the leftovers from that Virginia Tech team. But number one, I don't think the I don't think the Virginia Tech team on paper is overwhelmingly impressive. And I think the Virginia Tech team in execution has been far less impressive. And those kind of struggle... I mean, they they are playing like a bad football team. Miami uh, is going to be so mad about... You know, they are so mad about this 0-2 start. But I do believe the, the fabric of the football team is stronger at Miami than it is at Virginia Tech. So I would rather be Miami. Yeah, I mean Virginia Tech's never looked that good on paper, and they've and they've exceeded expectations consistently. So now they don't look that good on paper, and they're not exceeding expectations. So, so what's the difference? You know, it's like the it's the coach. Uh, and I, hey, so we'll see if Justin Fuente can get it right. So I know you got to go soon, but I got I got one more, which is one of my favorite. I think of the discussion is back to the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin or Penn State, who would you rather be? I would rather be Wisconsin. All right. Yeah, I would I would rather be Wisconsin because I would rather uh, – it wasn't that long ago. It feels like a correction. I would rather be Wisconsin because it feels like everything that we've seen so far means that we can wash last year's – uh, disappointing season, we can wash it out. We can say it was the anomaly. We can say whatever. Like that's that's not Wisconsin football. We're back to playing Wisconsin football. I think that Penn State, as a fan, still stills looking. Penn, Penn State might be feeling better because of you know the th- the way things are looking at Michigan. But I would say that it is impossible. If just me again, who would you rather be? Is impossible for me to think about the um, Penn State fan experience without looking uh, west at Ohio State in Columbus 
and looking at that Ohio State team and being like, yeah, I mean, we're really good. We got this. Yo, let's go. But just sort of still knowing that you are uh, that that what you got might not be what Ohio State has right now. And for some reason, I feel like Wisconsin, the fan experience is a little bit more insular where you're not comparing yourselves to the Big Ten East, to, to your division rival in that same way. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin is a little more of a bird in the hand. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go Penn State here, though, because this feels like another 10-win season for Wisconsin, maybe better. I don't know what we're going to get out of the Penn State. But I think the climb for Penn State was going to be tougher because of the division they play in. And I think you, if you want to start beating teams with, with players, it's not, it's not an overnight deal. And I think the, the, the progression is, has like, it's close to hitting a critical mass with Penn State in terms of the players on that roster, the talent they're trotting out there, the defense they're going to put on the field this year, the offensive weapons they've got that are young and, and, and are going to step forward this year. And what does that mean for the future? What does that mean for future recruiting classes? I just think that you're close at Penn State to maybe taking that step. I don't, I, you know, Penn State is capable of beating Ohio State. We saw it last year. They almost did. They're certainly capable of beating Michigan. They've done it. They're, uh, so, but they're not on that Ohio State tier of consistency yet. And Ohio State's on a tier above Wisconsin from a, from a talent and consistency standpoint, too. And so I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to take the chance that Penn State can get to an Ohio State tier over the certainty that Wisconsin is always going to be good. And they're good again this year. And I think we're still – I think it's still a little bit – I mean, I think it's, we don't really know how good either of these teams are. But uh, – they play each other this year, don't they? Wisconsin and Penn State, I believe so. Yeah, do they play each other this year? I'm trying to think. Wisconsin plays. No, they don't. Wisconsin's got Michigan and Ohio State, and Ohio State and Michigan State. Um, so they don't play each other. But I think I just think this year, like this year, that'd be a great game. Frankly, they're probably about the same. You know, very similar teams i've got them both in my i'm trying to think my cbs one 130 uh i have penn state nine and wisconsin seven so i like, guess a good comparison i just think from a seasonal and and multi-seasonal upside i still think there's more there with penn state the multi-seasonal upside is definitely uh it's definitely fair the Listen, Penn, Penn State still hasn't played a Power Five team yet, and it, and th- we're only two weeks into the season. It's not like no, that's, right. that's yeah. a rare thing. But I I will say well, neither is neither is Wisconsin though. Oh yeah, that's true. I was I was making a note on Penn State actually for the CBS Sports one thirty this morning because Penn State made one of the Penn State and Wisconsin. It's, it's funny we mentioned both these teams. Both of them were some of the biggest movers in the top twenty of the poll. So we're, we're not like they are linked together for a lot of reasons, but they're also linked together just kind of where they're at at this point in the season and things should get like Pitt against Penn state is a game that if Penn state is operating at another level with the maturity to go and take care of business, I think we'll see it because 
if they mess around with Pitt and that game gets close late, I don't think Pitt can win that game. I think that there's a there's just not enough playmakers or there's so many more playmakers for Penn State that they would be able to come out with the win. But I would slow my Penn State momentum should that even even amidst the cloud of a rivalry, if that game's like 27-21 and closer than it should be, then you know maybe I'm reevaluating. But if Penn State, I, agree. I think even if it's like twenty-seven to like sixteen or something, I mean, I want that to be a, I want that to be pretty. If I'm Penn State, thirty-four to yeah. three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they didn't score much, and we scored anytime we needed to. That kind I mean, of how win. about that? How about that uh, Penn State Maryland game on the horizon, oh, September twenty-seven? God, that's suddenly going to be legit. Friday night. Those teams, those teams already hate each other. That's like a low-key rivalry where like teams really hate each other. Well, because it's old school. They used to play all the time when Penn State was independent. Yeah. Penn State and Maryland is a old traditional rivalry from Penn State's independence days. So there's like decades old hate there. That's exciting. Yeah. Love yeah. that. All right. So th- we got them all. We hit them. We're done. We got it. All right. So it, that's that's how we feel. Coming up later in the week, we're going to uh, see in this in this week of lopsided uh, spreads and you know seemingly one-sided matchups. No ranked on ranked teams in for the first time in any week since 2017. We're going to put some teams on upset alert. That'll be coming up later in the week. Plus, of course, uh, our week three locks. That's Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Dessert.